Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. Each weekday at noon, you'll find me here on 90.3 FM or WPLN.org. Join us as we explore the identity of our city and region. Today is all about Nerus. It's New Year's Day for millions of people across Middle Tennessee and the world. We'll drive into the history of the celebration and learn about the unique Nashville traditions of this special day of renewal. But first, for years, many rural hospitals in Tennessee were in tough shape, and that was before the pandemic. Several hospitals have closed, making access to quality health care increasingly difficult for people living in rural areas. To learn more about what's going on, I'd like to welcome in WPLN senior health care reporter Blake Farmer, who has been looking at attempts to revive rural hospitals. Welcome, Blake. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's a beautiful day. It is a beautiful day. It's about time we had one. <laughs> so let me ask you, where are we right right now? Like I've read that Tennessee leads the nation in rural hospital closures. Is that really true? Yeah, th- these are mostly based on figures that come out of the Shep Center at the University of North Carolina. And the, the tally right now is is that Tennessee's lost 16 hospitals since 2010. Uh, that's actually slightly less than the state of Texas. But, of course, the state of Texas is, uh, you know, considerably larger than Tennessee. So mm-hmm. you're kind of looking per capita. Tennessee has lost more rural hospitals than, than anywhere else uh, in the country. So there's a complicated question I have here. Why are rural hospitals hurting so much across the state? I mean, we often hear Democrats blame closures on the state's refusal to expand Medicaid. Is it really that simple? It's not that simple. And I say, I say certainly that that is, um, you know, the, the key talking point for Democrats is that if Medicaid had been expanded under Obamacare, as was the intention from the program, that um, that these hospitals wouldn't be in trouble. But you, you, you talk to folks who've been involved with these hospitals, um, leaders of these communities, and these are hospitals that were in pretty big trouble uh, already. You know, uh, they're they're facing some of the same challenges that rural communities generally are facing. You know, um, what hospitals need to really make the most profit is patients with private commercial insurance, okay? Like okay. you and I here from the station. Mm-hmm. Well, rural communities have uh, aging populations typically, which means Medicare coverage, the the insurance, government insurance that covers retirees. Well, it doesn't pay nearly as much as private commercial insurance. And then, uh, of course, paying them even less is Medicaid, what we call TenCare here in Tennessee, which covers people with low incomes or who are disabled. So, um, beyond those sort of uh, rural economics factors, Tennessee also had some unique uh, points that that kind of set it at a disadvantage. Several of these hospitals that have closed or, or really have struggled were previously owned by Community Health Systems, which is a big chain of hospitals that's actually based here in Franklin. Um, you know, it, it this company has endured its own corporate financial challenges, and it 
for the last few years, has been selling off or even closing dozens of facilities from uh, to keep from going under itself. So uh, then we've had a round of people who are trying to run these hospitals who have no experience, or, or worse, we've had several taken over by out-of-state lab companies, and they they use these rural hospitals to increase how much they can charge insurance companies for for all their lab testing. It's uh, we can go more in depth of that if if you like. But but point is, it's a confluence of factors. But where we are is we've we've got 16 communities that lost their hospital. I want to circle back to okay. the lab thing in okay. a second. But we invited Mayor Wes Ward of Linden, Tennessee, to join us today. But he was just called into a meeting. But his town lost its hospital before even a year had passed in this pandemic. Yeah. Help us understand what's going on in Linden. Well, uh, what Linden's going through is similar to uh, uh, several other communities, including the. Uh, so Linden is Perry County, um, the neighboring county, Decatur County, has a very similar situation where um, there was a company that was was hired to manage the hospital. And um, th- that company, uh, they they were in the lab business, as in folks who you know do urine screenings or allergy testing. Um, so you might ask, well, why would they want to run a hospital? Well, the the what's happened in many places, and some people have gotten in big trouble for doing this, is lab companies have have um, basically routed their they're out of state lab companies, and they route their billings through this this uh, rural hospital. Well, rural hospitals have a very um, um, they they have some things uh, that allow them to charge more for some services than like a big hospital here in Nashville would be able to. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is for lab testing. And so you can sort of route your billing through there and, and get the increased uh, reimbursement from uh Medicare, for instance, and and all of a sudden you're making a whole lot more money just because you happen to be running a rural hospital. Linden ran into this. Uh, Decatur County. Uh, uh, I was up in Houston County. That's run into this. Um, so uh, they essentially these communities uh, were were just asking someone to come help save their hospital, and the people who did, uh, you know, have now kind of been run out of town by the insurance companies. So we had Delta and Omicron variant surges yep. of COVID since this hospital closed. Yep. What does that mean for the residents of Linden? Well, you know, I, I've heard stories from from Linden and and from other communities uh, of folks who, um, if you'll recall, there were times when even the big medical centers here in Nashville were essentially could not handle more. COVID patients, especially if they were uh, in, in serious shape. And these small hospitals are not set up to care for critical COVID patients. Um, some of them, uh, I would say most of them, don't have ventilators, if that gives you an idea. Mm. They certainly don't have this uh, high, even higher level life support um, called ECMO, that, that where your blood is oxygenated outside of your body. I mean, only the largest medical centers even have that. Point is, you had you had folks who were in uh, in really rough shape, uh, who were who were already filling these smaller hospitals, and then of course you have uh, communities like Linden where their hospital was closed. So even the the the, the hospital one county over was not an option for them. And so uh, it you know you, you hear stories of folks who who really uh, missed out on care because uh, their local hospital was not there. That kind of makes me question this next question I'm about to okay. ask you. I mean, like, do these communities need hospitals? I, it's kind of, yes. Well, you know, I would say even for myself, before the pandemic, 
I would have said, you know, ha- I mean, the rural hospital closure story has been going on for years. Um, and I think you go to, I mean, I, I went and toured a hospital, where was it, in Hohenwald. Um, with, excuse me, it was a former hospital that had been converted, kind of downgraded to like, uh, much more than your typical clinic, but but sort of a medical center that had extended hours, but it wasn't an emergency department. And I was with uh, former Senator Lamar Alexander, and he was pointing at this as maybe this is an answer for communities that really aren't big enough anymore or can't support a, a full-fledged hospital. Um, but I think a lot of folks, after being in the pandemic, when there were actually not enough beds to take care of the patients who needed care um, have maybe begun to rethink that, you know what, even if a hospital has limited services, uh, perhaps these communities need it one way or the other. That's Blake Farmer, WPLN senior healthcare reporter. Blake, thank you for coming on to the show and thanks for your reporting, my friend. Happy to do it. We have to take a short break, but when we come back, we're exploring the holiday of Nehru's, the biggest and most important holiday for Kurdish people. Don't go away. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. You may have heard Nehru's referred to as Kurdish New Year, and that's true, but it's not the New Year only for Kurds. Nehru's is celebrated throughout the Middle East, including Afghanistan, where my first guest grew up. Hagmana Wahidi is of Afghanistan Association of Nashville. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's so good to have you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So tell me, what do you remember about Nehru's growing up? Well, I've been out of Afghanistan for almost 37 years. And um, just the things that I remember, it was was a very happy day. And um, we always had hafmiwa, which is the, the fruit of the new year, because back home we didn't have a lot of fresh fruit because we didn't have all these big groceries and stuff. I'm sure it's changed a little bit by now, but at that time we did not. So always we used the dried fruit to make the New Year now rose fruit, um, which is made out of um, seven dried like almond pistachios, walnuts, and dried fig, uh, pecans, and you have to peel all of them clean and then you, you soak them in cold water. And for three, four days before now rose, which then it becomes syrupy and very sweet. And it's, it's a beautiful fruit. Oh, wow. Um, that sounds really we, good. Uh, it, it sounds so good. <laughs> and they're hard to make. You have to have like clean hands, everything clean, because anything extra would just destroy it. And then um, we did a lot of uh, kite flying we we flew kites would be all over the place and if you didn't have us if you had a small yard or something you'd be on the roof because we had flat roofs and people were prepared these kites for days in and out and you can actually like like ride on them happy new year happy now roads and the stuff 
on it and you fly it and you just kids will be all over the place because it's a serious force by the way you know fly cutting back home is is huge and uh, then neighbors will make the 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 guys kind of fight into each other with the with the, the person that had the strongest thread that that they would make it out of literally glass and glue what? and they would, yes, <laughs> their fingers would be cut up because it, I mean it takes days to prepare those. They they take the regular um, threads and then they 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 mix glue and they break this glass and fine fine like almost like a powder, and then they run it through and they dry it and the sharper it is the better it is. Okay. So once it flies out and with the one that wins, then the, the kite just goes free in the wind. And us as kids would run like blocks and blocks until we catch that 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 kite and take it home with us. Um so it was it was a really a fun day. It was it was beautiful. That sounds like such an amazing time. <laughs> That's really an amazing time. I, I'd like to introduce my next guest, Kassar Abdullah, community advocate and educator. Kassar, Happy New Year, and thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Khalil. It's great to be here, and Happy Nowruz um, to all of you. Uh, as uh, Ms. Wahidi said, I think um, the memories of Nowruz are quite incredible for us Um before coming to United States, I actually thought Nauru's was solely for the Kurds, and it was the Kurdish New Year um, co coming to United States. And I learned that Nauru's is universal. So many different parts of the world celebrate Nauru's. For us, it is a time, a new day marking spring, but it also reminds us that we are a different people. We're strong people. We're resilient people. Um, so it's a time for us to celebrate our identity, our culture, our language. Um, to get connected with nature. Nauruz is a day to also be in connection with the nature. Um, so celebrating the arrival of spring and saying goodbye to the dark wintry nights. Can you share some memories of celebrating Nauruz with us? Yeah, my some of my most memorable memories has been or were when I was in a refugee camp in Turkey. Um, so even though as Kurds, we were living in a refugee camp and I was a little girl aged six until 10 years, I remember that didn't stop us from celebrating. Um, we, the students would um, play, do the play known by, um, it's like a fairy tale by the evil um, the dictator, the hawk, um, and this revolutionary blacksmith uh, known as Kawa. So we would do the play for the students um, I think singing and dancing poetry, um, mm -hmm. saying what's on our heart, reflecting of what's happening in our present through poetic poems um, and words, playing games, um, you know, uh, things that really brought joy and life to me as a little girl in a refugee camp. Now, you mentioned the story of Kawa, and I understand that in Kurdish culture, there's a particular, that origin story has a really big significance. Can you tell me about that story? Sure. Um, yeah, so this story of Zohag, who was this 
evil Assyrian king, his thirst for power um, turns him into a very wicked human being. Um, and again, it's fairy tale, it's fantasy, science fiction, but it has so much story um, written in there about the reality of Kurds. And so this Vahak, his thirst for power um, results into having two snakes that are constantly on his shoulders. And the only way to satisfy these serpents is to sacrifice two Kurdish children and give the brains of these children to the snakes. Mm. Um, and Kawa, the blacksmith, couldn't take it anymore. He himself lost six children to this evil platform. Um, and so he rises up against uh, and causes a whole revolution um, and, you know, kills. It puts an end to the hog using a hammer. Um, and he lights fire on the different hills and mountains in Kurdistan to communicate. And fire also symbolizes light and freedom for the Kurds. Um, and so that story is told and people tend to reflect it in our present time. Um, it's a story that it's a tale of the knowing the importance of evil and good or the dangers of human weaknesses and the thirst for power. It is also the story of, you know, freedom and how we need to unite together against oppression. I love that story. As I was reading it, I thought to myself, this needs to be made into a film, a Hollywood blockbuster film, um, because it's so, so many messages and it's really colorful. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. You know, I'm sure I'm not alone when I say that when it comes to holidays, food is key, very important. So, Hangama, I'm curious, what is your favorite Nehru's food? Well, we always did spinach because it's green. And of course, now Rose is the first day of spring. Um, and back home, like literally the snow melts and magically the spinach just comes out and was amazing. So we always did rice and spinach. You can always add to it, but I think every table back home would have a green dish on the table. That sounds delicious. And we still do that. You still do that today? Yes. Yes, I gotta have my spinach on New Year's. <laughs> I love that tradition. That's like in certain yeah. parts of African American culture, they're like you have to have black eyed peas on New Year's Day. And exactly, and exactly. Spinach on New Year's Day, uh, a healthy alternative. I like it. Kasar, uh, <laughs> do you have any favorites that you love to eat at this time of year? It would have to be iprach. Iprach are dolmas, which is these stuffed vegetables and grape leaves um, that we make, and they're incredibly good. You can also add meat to it, lamb, um, you know, on the bottom, so lamb ribs. Um, we still do it today. It's interesting because... <clears throat> As an American Kurd, um, we've what, a couple of the dishes that we still kept are really iprach. You're going to find in every Navruz um, celebration we come together, and there's a huge pot of dolmas or iprachs. Um, again, so many vegetables all coming in together, getting giving you that aroma and that taste of spring. Are there any American touches as well, or is it just traditional Kurdish food? 
We've definitely added so many of other traditions. Uh, it's interesting. So um, enchiladas, right, <laughs> are added to the table. Um, lasagna pops up. Um, you know, you talked about beans, so many different types of beans. And I think it's like the classical um, sort of what it, what makes America, America, right? So it's like the blend of these new foods and then the foods that already exist here. Um, I mean, the younger Kurdish uh you know, family members are very interested in this um, Mexican-influenced uh, food. So enchiladas are right next to our dolmas. That sounds delicious. If you're just joining us, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking about the holiday known as Nerus, the celebration of the new year for Middle Eastern cultures across Nashville and the globe. Okay, so we talked about the story of Kawa the blacksmith. Poetry also plays an important role in Kurdish culture. Kassar, why is poetry so big for Kurds, especially during Nowruz? So for, for centuries, Kurdish people were prohibited from writing our story, our history, and poems um, have been a way for us to articulate and to send a message and to also continue our stories orally. So oral tradition was passed down through storytelling and poems. You will find that even our American Kurds who are born in the United States are still attached to poems. Um, it's just ingrained in us, in our blood, and it's been carried for generations and generations that poems really help us speak our truth, regardless of where we are and what, what era we are in. Do you have a poem you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I would love to. Um, this poem was written by my niece, who is a graduate of MLK. And the poem is titled, my Kurdish identity. When you look at me, what do you see? Someone Turkish, Arab, Indian, or someone I wasn't meant to be. But no, my heritage comes from this mystical land, a land my parents call Kurdistan. But if you ask me, I'm from the bright lights of downtown, from crowded streets and old country guitars. I'm from, hey, you all, around those Music City folks from southern tip of Nashville, Tennessee. I'm an American born with a strong Kurdish heart. They say you can breathe in the fresh mountain air with the scent of sweet wildflowers. These same mountains that stood with such great power, so secretly hidden Noah's Ark as some say among the ark with the goody, which came a nation called Kurdi, with valleys that strat out as far as I can see, housing people for thousands of years, yearning for its inhabitants to be free of mankind's fascist cruelty. I wish that everyone would understand that I am a Kurd without a homeland, a land in which I have not seen, but you all see, my generation will be the one who will set it free. That is beautiful. Written by your niece, huh? Yes, Sumeya Muhammad. That was beautiful. That was absolutely wonderful. What does this what does this poem mean to you? For me, it means identity. Um, it means uh, resilience. 
It also means hope. It means there's hope that one day a generation will rise, will have a leader like Kawa, who will bring freedom to Kurdistan. Mm. You know, like many oral traditions, the stories and poems, they serve as guides for young people to recognize and remember the culture. You know, Hangama, how involved are the young people in keeping traditions of the culture alive? I, I want them to be more involved, like in our culture. We're trying to teach them what we remember and what we know. So they kept keep they can keep it alive. Um, I know it's harder here because you don't have we do, you don't have everything that you could, but at least it will be fresh in their minds. They know where they come from. They know how to celebrate their holidays. Um, my family, like a, a lot of Afghans here, but for sure my family, we're, we're talking like dinner tables. We always talk about how it was and how it is and what it should be uh, and how to remember all the memories of their grandparents and how they lived beforehand. Mm. So um, they, they need to be very involved. And I'm, I am positive that they are right now. Yeah. Especially my daughter, she's 24, and she she's my my son's teacher in all of this because she she knows so much, and I'm very proud of that. But um, I'm hoping that they they will keep all these memories alive once we're not the first generation Afghan Americans in the United States um, to keep everything alive here and keep carry it. Yeah. It's important. Kasar, have you seen similar reactions from the young people you know? Yes, I think there is. Um, it's interesting because the first generation of Kurds who were settled here, um, they were very grounded in their identity, but struggling to um, adapt in their new adopted country and as Americans. I think those that are born here have this immense thirst this thirst to get connected to their roots, this thirst to actually know their history. Um, and I saw that also at Valor Collegiate Academies, which has a very large Kurdish population. So a couple of years ago, we decided to um, name March as the Kurdish Heritage Month where we start to add literature and have conversations and celebrate Nowruz. Um, and that also resulted now with um, that thirst is pushing even our elected officials, like our mayor, Cooper, who signed a proclamation declaring that March is the Kurdish Heritage Month. Um, you have the vice, um, you know, uh, um, our VP, Kamala Harris, who tweeted, Happy Nowruz. Um, you know, that's that means a lot. You have Titans who, you know, tweeted, uh, Happy Nowruz. You have um, uh, Trevor Noah. Um, who talked about Nowruz. While Nowruz is a holiday that, you know, transcends many different ethnicities um, around the globe, for the Kurds, it, it, it meant visibility. It meant we are finally being visible. We are, our holiday, Nowruz, which is one of the most um, important holidays, is being recognized um, and institutionalized in some settings. Now, Hangama, you immigrated here over 30 years ago. 
So tell me, what's different about celebrating the holiday here in Nashville? Well, Nashville, you kind of, we, our community here is not as big as Kurdish community. So we, we haven't had many opportunities to get together as a community and do a lot of things. But as a family, um, it's just it's just different because um, I, we celebrate on the weekends. If it falls on the weekdays, you don't want to miss school. You don't want to miss work. So you got to do it beforehand or after the next weekend. And it just is not the same vibe as you would get it back home because it was a big holiday. Everybody was home. Everybody was relaxed. Everybody was having fun and, you know, eating their fruit and food and all that stuff. So I feel if is it doesn't feel as strong to me because like it happened to fall on Saturday Sunday this this year, but it could be Wednesday. And on Wednesday, you know, you take somebody happy now rose and you're staying at work and doing your work. I feel all the, all of our holidays are kind of that way right now. We celebrate Christmas and New Year's more than we do our own because of just the way everything is in the United States is not as recognized and you don't get to be out of school and not be penalized or, you know, out of work and not do vacation days and stuff like that. So it's hard to get into the full spirit. Well, maybe not the, the full spirit. spirit. Yeah, and the vibe. And we have the spirit. We just the celebration is gets a little hard. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's hard to celebrate for ten days when you got soccer practice to take the kids to. <laughs> <laughs> I get you. I get you. Now, I, I'd like to hear from you both on the significance or the symbolism of celebrating the new year on the first day of spring, Kassar. Well, for me, it symbolizes new life, new beginning, um, an opportunity. I mean, we also just came back from, or we haven't quite survived out of the COVID era, but um, you know, the past two years, COVID really was an opportunity for us to process what it means to be human um, and to also understand how connected we are. So starting with spring, um, it symbolizes new beginning. It symbolizes that we as human beings can always choose to make better decisions. Um, you know, and this year um, with, you know, COVID still being around, it, it was an opportunity for me to self-reflect and give more value to the people and the earth, the planet that I walk on. Mm -hmm. mm, I like that. Hangama. So um, it's just to celebrate the new year, um, the, the spring, everything is fresh, everything is beautiful, winter is past, our school starts uh, the second day of Nowruz, which is Hamatuya Hamaus, that's our month. So everything starts all over, it's a new year for everybody, uh, for school, for kids. Um, flowers bloom and it's just we here we get to have two resolutions so just in case i fail my first res resolution on january 1st i can have another <laughs> resolution <laughs> and now rose and hopefully this time will go to exercise and do my things 
So um, it, it, it's just the way it falls and when it falls at the beginning of each spring, it's just beautiful. I like the way you put that, Hangama, because I am going to be joining you in the gym to re-up on my failed <laughs> New Year's resolutions. <laughs> Wonderful. That was Hangama Wahidi of the Afghan Association of Nashville. Hangama, thank you so much for joining us today yes. and happy Nerus. Thank you for having us. Kassar Abdullah is going to hang with us through the break. When we come back, we learn more about what makes Nashville a special place to celebrate Nehru's, and we discover other ways to observe the holiday. Happy Nehru's. This is Nashville. It's Sunday morning, and thousands are gathered at the Ward Agricultural Center in Lebanon to celebrate Nerus. It's the Tennessee Curtis Communities Council's first celebration since the pandemic began. Everyone is here to welcome a new year and the beginning of spring. The beautiful blue sky is right on time. Nerus, we call the New Year's for the Kurds, you know, and the day of the winning days. We, we know as a winning days for the Kurds it has been in the past, and we celebrate. We relive these days and we tell to our new generations to keep this day in their hearts. That's Nozad Harami from the Salahadeen Center. Our region has the largest Kurdish community in the United States, and the home team definitely showed up. Nashville Mayor John Cooper made an appearance too. We just declared March in Nashville as the Kurdish Heritage Month. And let's start that celebration. Because you're showing the love of community, and I'm grateful for it, being part of this community. Your entrepreneurial spirit, your civic mindedness is making a great Nashville. And thank you for being part of what makes Nashville and our region great. The festival has become so big, it had to relocate to the Ag Center from Edwin Werner Park. Word had gotten around across the country that Nashville is the place for Kurds to celebrate Nehru's. That's what brought Mohammed and Bashir. I'm from uh, Syria, okay. Kurdistan. And um, uh, we'll be uh, coming from uh, Ohio, Columbus. All the way today? Yeah, like six hours. It's something very special to us. So we get very happy when this uh, holiday comes. That's Happy New Year. Mohammed and Bashir drove a long way to attend the festival, but not everyone traveled by car. Miru Kolu moved to Brooklyn, New York with his family in 2011. He is from Afrin Rujovo. Along his college courses, Miru was taking flight lessons at a nearby flight school. Miru studied aviation and politics here because he knew that he would not be able to study these two areas in Rujovo since the Kurdish people are forbidden from it. Ladies and gentlemen, if you look above, you will see Miru flying above our Nodu celebration this afternoon. The crowd looks up and searches the sky. Someone says he's on his way. Back on the ground, dazzling, colorful outfits mark the special occasion. So there's different um, fabrics. There's satin dresses, there's chiffon, there's um, more cottony. Um, there are a lot of beaded ones, more that are just plain. 
Rogine says this year, it was a little bit easier to get a Nauru's dress. And we actually recently got a Kurdish store open here in Nashville that sells um, all types of different fabrics, which is really nice. And before, we'd have to send back home and have family send it to us, and it wasn't always easy, you know. As the crowd forms a huge circle around a stack of logs, a cheer goes up. First, for the lighting of the Nauru's fire, then for the small single-engine plane flying overhead. This is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. That was singer Zila Nar, who traveled all the way from Turkey to perform for Nerus here in Lebanon, Tennessee, yesterday. I'd like to introduce my next guest. Sa- Tabir Sindi is president of the Tennessee Kurdish Community Council. He helped plan yesterday's Nerus celebration. Happy New Year, Tabir. Thanks for being with us. Happy now, Ruth, and thanks for having me. So it sounds like you put together quite an event. Have you gotten any sleep? I have not. Not only, you know, beginning of in, in December, we as an organization, we start planning for Nowruz because it is our biggest event of the year and it's the most event of the year for us. So all the hard work, you know, sleepless nights, it paid off, you know, and it showed Yesterday, we had the biggest turnout. And the most amazing thing is, you know, people were just were having fun. I mean, it was good. It was good to see everyone back out since the past couple of years. We haven't been able to celebrate like the way we usually do because of pandemic. Mm-hmm. But uh, all the hard work, you know, it showed off yesterday. So, well, congratulations, my friend. I'm glad that uh, you. you're happy with the event, and I'm glad that you're able to celebrate. And so tell me, what makes Nashville such a special place to celebrate Nehru's? Yeah, it's a good question. We get this question a lot, you know, because uh, Kurds around the states, you know, they look up to us, to our city, to our community in Nashville. We have the largest Kurdish community in Nashville. And Kurds around the state other states so basically like i said they look up look up to us when it comes to no rules you know this is a biggest event of the year for us and most important event of the year for us so we try to you know not only as kurds but we we, we try to educate you know non-kurds about no rules and about our culture and tradition through different activities through uh, different events that we do. And Nowruz is one of the events that makes it, you know, a special opportunity for us to educate others. And yesterday it showed we had so many non-Kurds, you know, in the crowd celebrating with us. It means a lot for our community. Because of our events, it has grown every year. Like you said earlier, we had to relocate our event. Nashville Nowruz has become an iconic event, an, an iconic celebration throughout the uh, United States. That's why uh, Kurds from other states can come join us to celebrate. 
and uh, the way the way we have celebrated uh, this event in Nashville throughout the years, it has it has given some kind of recognition to our to our community here in Nashville, and it keeps growing each and every year. Why is so, that? Like, what makes Nashville? What makes this Nashville event such a big draw for people? Because of our community, uh, no one celebrates. Uh, I can comfortably say, not even Kurds in back home in Kurdistan celebrates like the way we celebrate Nowruz in Nashville. We have a specific program, a specific um, special performers. You know. Uh, throughout the day, it's not just act, uh, festivities. It's not just dancing or music. Uh, uh, Kurds around the world, uh, or I should say, in Kurdistan, families just gather and picnic. You know, at different places. There's not a specific program that is, you know, organized. Here in Nashville, we organize an event where we try to have all four parts of Kurdistan. Not only curse from Iraq, but uh, uh, curse from all four parts uh, to uh, uh, to help you know organize this event. To so everyone gets to, for example, the ceremony of fire yesterday. Before lighting up the fires, we had one. We had uh, five people, one from curse uh, in Iraq, Syria, Turkey, and Iran, and also along with uh, John Mayer. Uh, John Cooper lighting up that mm -hmm. fire. So that is why our event, it has grown. You know, uh, people look up to it. In the beginning of, of every year and starting in December, we get a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails, you know, ask, you know, when is No Rules this year? What is the program looking like this year? And we also, we, every year, we try to bring, you know, uh, performers, artists uh, from overseas just to um, make make people happy. So because of all this, you know, our event, it has grown and people look up to it. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Now, Kassar Abdullah is still with us. Kassar, in your eyes, what makes this celebration in Nashville stand out? Kassar, are you with us? Yes. Hey. I didn't know I was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, I think I resonate, I resonate with Tabir's uh, point on it's the people. I think the people does um, have, a, have a big, uh, the people in Nashville, the Kurdish people in Nashville have been very resilient and also still connected to their roots. I think the other thing that really makes it unique here, um, even though there aren't institutions in the United States, for example, that really recognize and celebrate. Um, it's not a national holiday where people can take off, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we also even struggle to find the location. And for us, it's very important that the location is outdoor, outside, because it's connected to nature again. And in general, Kurdish people are, um, they, they, they have the spirit with nature. They like mountains. They like outdoor. They like to picnic and sit on the grass and eat. Um, so eat even with those, the other thing that really makes Nashville unique and American Kurds in Nashville is that the people here 
have given back to the community in ways that their stories is not told or it's invisible. Um, you will find, for example, a lot of them are entrepreneurs. They came down to what I, for many years ago, called Little Curtis and USA down on Knowlesville Road. And they took empty, vacant buildings and turned them into very thriving local businesses from ethnic markets, all the way up to having our Ahmad clinic, which is a uh, family clinic. Um, you So the people here have been a model, a role model for other country, I mean, other states, especially in the United States. They're looking up to here. We have also the first Kurdish mosque um, that ever actually operated outside of Kurdistan that delivers sermons in Kurdish. Um, and so people actually draw here. They look forward to so celebrating Nauru's in Nashville brings tourism to the city in a way that other places don't. People are coming here to taste the Kurdish food at local Kurdish restaurants. People are coming here to get the tahin and naan in the Kurdish markets. I mean, there are these women, fabulous women. I always say that the way our story or our history has been held is on the shoulders of Kurdish women. Um, and so through food, they've the story has been passed on on who are the Kurds. We've been given back to the communities in ways through civic engagement, you know, opening up our arms and connecting with neighbors, showing up at the poll and voting, um, you know, participating in sports and, you know, supporting whether it be Titans or the National Soccer League. And so there are ways that I feel like the people who live here are becoming a model for the Kurds in other parts that says it is still possible for you to adapt to your new homeland while still knowing who you are as a Kurd. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekolona. Happy Nowruz to all who celebrate. We've been talking about the significance of this celebration for our Kurdish communities here in Middle Tennessee. And, you know, as, as you were just saying, Kassar, I imagine the immersion of cultures happening for those who have lived in America for quite some time. And Tabir, answer this for me. What does it mean to you? to hold a dual identity for the traditions of your homeland and the country where you now live. It's very important because I have kids of my own. I have four little boys and I, my daughter just turned one years old, you know, and I try my best to be a role model for them uh, to do, you know, something that my kids first to look up to, you know, uh, our identity, uh, we still have to remember who we are as Kurds. You know, I tried my best to educate my kids first, my family first about our roots. But at the same time, you know, I also tell my boys, we are Kurdish Americans, especially you guys, you were born here. So you will, regardless of, of where you go, of what school or institution you attend, you have to have, you have to show and respect both cultures because you live here, you're an American. At the same time, you have to know who your roots are, where you came from. So through these uh, events, especially like, like No Rules, you know, it's not only a celebration where we can, we just uh, go and eat out and dance around, but at the same time, it is an, an educational event where we teach, educate the young generation uh, that will come after us, you know, to maintain these events, to keep uh, your traditions going. It is your job. It is our job. I always tell my kids, it is your job 
when you go to school everywhere you go with your friends you have to you have to present yourself the way the way where you can educate someone someone appreciates it, who you are as an as an identity yes you were born here you're a Kurdish American but it is your job to educate others about your culture and your traditions so that's why it, it is very important you know to maintain both cultures and over time, uh, things has changed. Uh, the first generation, like Kassar said earlier, it was hard for them, you know, to to adapt to this uh, culture. But through time, th- things change. The you know, second generation, even the third generation, uh, they automatically adapt to this culture here, and that's why it's important. You know, I always teach tell my kids you have to you have to know about Kurds as well. You have to know who you are, your background, your roots, uh, just to keep it with you for the rest of your life. And it is your, it is, it is on your shoulders for you to pass it around, to pass it along, and to educate your friends. For people learning about Nehru's for the first time, Kassar, what do you want them to walk away with? I would love for them to know that Nehru's is a new beginning, arrival of spring. It is also a day of liberation for many of those who've been oppressed over the years just because of the way they were born, their ethnicity or the language that they spoke. I want them to see Nauruz as an opportunity to connect with someone who looks different from them, someone who may speak, look, dress, or have different level of pigmentation and to know the story of resilience and connection and unity that comes from Nauru's. Now, Tabir, what do you want people to know? What do you want them to walk away with? Well, I want not only Kurds, but our American friends and non-Kurds to see and appreciate the community we have here at Nashville. And the amount of contributions our community has for the greater Nashville in general, you know. Yesterday, it reminded me, it was kind of a bit emotional for me because over year, over the years, Nauru's was, wasn't that, that much of an important event or it wasn't much recognized in the Nashville community as far as uh, from non-Kurds. But yesterday, it showed a whole different meaning. We finally realized, hey, there are other communities, you know, there are other non-Kurds who sees this event as important. We had invited our mayor, John Cooper, who attended, and also deputy council to Governor Bill Lee. And they showed up and they got to be a part of a fantastic time. That is Tabir Cindy and Kassar Abdullah. Thank you both for joining us and please have a happy Nerus. Thanks to all our guests for coming onto the show and offering their insights and expertise. Next time, I want to be able to know how to say happy Nerus properly. 
We want to thank everybody who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, we are stepping aside to listen in on the special coverage of Kentanji Brown-Jackson's confirmation hearings for the Supreme Court. We will be back later this week. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back to this episode at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out a very quick, easy survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Colonna. Happy Nerus. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Be good to each other.